So this morning, we are lucky enough to have Lucy Chimidi come and speak to us. I'm going to read a couple of passages from Exodus. So we're going to start in Exodus 22, beginning at verse 21 and going to verse 27. Do not mistreat an alien or oppress him, for you are aliens in Egypt. Do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear them. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with a sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children will become fatherless. If you lend money to one of my people among who who is needy, do not be like a money lender. Charge him interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it to him by sunset. But his cloak is the only thing he has to cover his body. What else will he sleep in? When he cries out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Then we're going to go to Exodus 23, beginning on verse 6. And this is a little bit later in the story. We've been following the Exodus story and Moses bringing the people out of Egypt. And this is the part of the story where they're trying to work out the laws. They're trying to work out how it is that they should live. And God is sometimes pretty explicit about how he thinks we should treat people. And these are some pretty good examples of that. So Exodus 23, 6 says, Do not deny justice to you poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge, and do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will acquit, not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the righteous. Do not oppress the alien. You yourselves know how it feels to be aliens because you were aliens in Egypt. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your heart. And we thank you for Lucy and all that she's going to teach us today. All she has to share about her experiences of you and the people that you love so much. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, good morning. Glad to be back here with you again. My family and I attended Wellspring. Well, I did first, and then I married somebody named Tafadzwa, who's right there. Uh, we have two, two gorgeous kids uh, who went off to Sunday school. Um, so between me and my family, we were here uh, 16 years, and about four years ago, um, left to uh, attend a church closer to home, um, which we wanted for our kids. Um, so just a little introduction to Adam House. Adam House is named in honor and memory of Salah and Shaleen Adam. Salah was a refugee from Sudan who came to Toronto and came to know Jesus through Morningstar Christian Fellowship. And he met there Shaleen, who had been a missionary in North Africa. And uh, they got married and had two beautiful children um, who were four and 18 months old when they went to travel back to Sudan for his sister's wedding. And their plane crashed off the coast of New York uh, and they were killed. So the reason why Adam House is named after them is because they wanted to start a refugee home. Um, specifically, they wanted to reach out to uh, Muslim refugees who had come to Toronto. Um, so they were killed before fulfilling that dream, but their colleagues and their church helped start Adam House uh, in their honor and memory to do what they were hoping to do. 
So just a quick refresher on what a refugee is. A refugee, um, according to the UNHCR, international law defines a refugee as a person who is outside his or her country and cannot return because of a well-founded fear of persecution or who has fled because of war or civil conflict. And here in Canada, we have basically two categories of refugees. The first are sponsored refugees. And a sponsored refugee can be sponsored by the government or sponsored by a group or community, uh, such as a church. And so a sponsored refugee has gone through some vetting process abroad to ensure that they are a person that needs protection. And then they come here and the sponsoring group looks after them for the first year. When they arrive, they're already a permanent resident um, and are kind of ready to hit the ground running um, with some language learning and so on. And, uh, and they don't really have much of a legal process. For refugee claimants, this group is, a, is the group that Adam House helps with. Um, and refugee claimants come to Canada and when they arrive, they say, I need protection from my home country. And that starts a process where they have to go to the Immigration and Refugee Board, uh, and then they may be admitted to Canada as a protected person or denied, which they can appeal and so on. But this group of people, the reason they're sort of significant is that they don't have a lot of supports when they first come to Canada. Um, so places like Adam House exist in order to help them out. So just help them with their immigration process and settlement and so on. So Adam House is a great big house located down on Gladstone Avenue near Dufferin and Bloor. And we provide clean and safe living accommodations. So we're often people's first home in Canada. We help with um, immigration procedures, referrals to legal services, medical assistance, and community, various community resources. And we're also there to be friendship and support for the people who come, and uh, continued support even after they're living in the community. The other thing that we do that um, may be unique um, in our field is we do what we call Bible fun time, um, which is a Bible study where we invite our residents that want to come um, and uh, worship with us or learn more about Jesus to come down. Uh, and we do that on Tuesday nights with a meal and local churches are involved in that. And that's a way for people in local churches to meet refugees and vice versa and uh, have community supports and friendship. And that was such uh, an amazing opportunities for churches and for our residents that we started a second program as well, uh, which is our Friday night social night. And that's just a time of uh, fun and games for the people that come through Adam House. And again, hosted by local churches uh, that can come and meet our residents. And then, Additionally, many of our church groups do extra activities as well, like uh, maybe field trips. So going to 
Toronto Island or they've gone to Elmira for the Maple Syrup Festival and just any sort of local fun things. Kensington Market, St. Lawrence Market. So just showing uh, our residents the city. <coughs> Uh, and the other thing that um, has happened in the last few years is that we've been able to expand. So beyond our house on Gladstone, we uh, now have a house that's actually not too far from here, near Leslie and Van Horn, which we call Adam House North. Uh, and that's transitional housing for our uh, residents and can accommodate about 12 to 14 people. And then the city of Toronto, about a year and a half ago, gave us a small three bedroom home in the East End, which we call Booth House because it's on Booth Avenue. Very creative, I know. Um, so Booth House can accommodate about five or six people. Um, and so that's also transitional housing. So um, you know, as well as I do, how expensive housing is in Toronto uh, for renting or buying. And so this is just a way to sort of extend our ministry to our folks if they're having trouble finding housing and we have space at one of the transitional homes, then they're able to stay there um, until they're maybe a little further along in the settlement process and closer to finding jobs and so on. The really big news right now is that we're renovating, so our Gladstone location is closed and we don't have anyone living there. We're um, doing some significant renovating, putting new drywall on the ceilings of every floor and renovating the uh, basement and kitchen to make them a little bit bigger and better for the purposes that we have for them. Uh, on Saturday, October 15th, we had three fine gentlemen from Wellspring walking with us uh, in our TCS Charity Challenge. So that was Bill and Dwayne and Ilpo, who are all in this little section here. Uh, so they came out with us. We walked all the way from uh, Adam House on Gladstone to Booth House in the East End, which is 8.5 kilometers, and they did a stellar job. So. Thank you for the Wellspring. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you can still sponsor them, okay? <laughs> we're, we're a few thousand short of our $60,000 goal, which will go towards our renovations. So if you need sponsorship uh, information for them, just uh, let me know. All right. <clears throat> so. A bit of a disclaimer this morning, I've preached this sermon before. I've changed it a little bit, um, but it's been about nine years since I preached it at Wellspring. But it just fits into Exodus so perfectly. Um, so my apologies to those of you who have heard it before, if you remember. I'm willing to bet you might not remember. <laughs> I don't remember the sermon I heard nine weeks ago, let alone nine years, so. I know, maybe that's it, right? <laughs> so, as you know already, or have just learned, I work with refugees. Uh, the precise word refugee is not used in scripture, but there are certainly refugees in the Bible, forced migrants, economic migrants, and immigrants. So let's just quickly go through uh, some refugees that are in the Bible. 
Uh, and these were people who specifically fled from danger or hardship in their homeland and went to a different place or country. So firstly, the people we're talking about this morning, the Israelites. So they go to Egypt during the famine and settle there and uh, eventually become slaves and then have to escape. So we're going to talk in depth about them this morning. But there's some others as well. Moses, he goes to Midian after killing the Egyptian. In the book of Ruth, Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons flee to Moab to escape famine in Judah. You have Jesus himself, who with his parents went to Egypt to escape Herod's infanticide and lived there for several years. And Jesus and, uh, sorry, and the early church, they were scattered by persecution, spreading the gospel across the globe. But beyond these examples, we know that migration was taking place based on God's command to his people. And I'm going to just hone in on a couple of the verses that James already read in the, in the larger context. So the first one is from Exodus 22:21, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. And then from Exodus 23, 9, you shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. The Hebrew word for an immigrant or a refugee is ger, which is derived from a verb, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, <laughs> which means to dwell with or dwell among. So an immigrant is one who is not native born of Israel, but lives with them. So we can put that in our context today. This is translated into English with a few different words, and we've already heard two of them this morning. Uh, one is strangers, one is sojourners, which the translation I'm using uses sojourners, which I kind of like a little more because it's, it's quite friendly. Um, foreigners, and then the translation uh, that James was reading from, was that NIV? Okay, a really old NIV is aliens, which is not my favorite because I think of little green men or something like that when I think of aliens. Although the U.S. really likes that term. <laughs> Many times instructions concerning sojourners in Exodus through De Deuteronomy is followed by the phrase that you probably already caught, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And that's what I really want to focus in on this morning. So to understand what God might be trying to communicate in his instructions to the children of Israel, I want to go back to the story. And I know that you've been working your way through this story, but we're going to do a bit of a, a refresher. Why were the Israelites sojourners in Egypt? How were they treated? What memories is God trying to get the people to recall? What emotions and what perspective should this phrase give them? The story of Joseph is my favorite in all of scripture. It's a thrilling story and told in so much detail. It's chapters and chapters long. It's fantastic and most of us are familiar with it. Joseph is one of Jacob's 12 sons. He's Jacob's favorite son, in fact, and the other brothers are jealous of him. 
so jealous that they sell him into slavery. I have not done that to my siblings, so I must not be that bad. Joseph ends up in Egypt and through a series of events is in the position to interpret Pharaoh's disturbing dreams. The dreams indicate that there will be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine in the land. And Joseph has a plan to prepare for the famine and Pharaoh places him in charge of everything. So Joseph, who was once a slave, is now number two in all of Egypt. So that's, that's quite a climb. Now I'm going to read a few things from Genesis and then we'll get over to Exodus. So Genesis 41, 56, and 57, and then 42, 1 to 3, and verse 5 is what I'm reading now. So when the famine had spread all over the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe all over the earth. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brothers, with his brothers, brother with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So Joseph has now executed his plan. He's saved up during the years of plenty. And now Egypt is the only place in that part of the world where they can get to Egypt, where there is any grain left. Joseph sells grain to the Egyptians and the storehouses are open to everyone from all over the world and Jacob hears of this and sends his sons. Over the next few chapters, Joseph plays a game with his brothers, which uh, you might remember, but eventually reveals that he is uh, Joseph and he immediately issues this invitation. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that I have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And maybe not too surprisingly, since Joseph has saved Egypt and the whole world, Pharaoh issues a similar invitation in Genesis 45, 16 to 20. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say this, do this, 
Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Isn't that amazing? Not only were they welcoming them just to, to save them, but they were sending back transportation for them and really rolling out the red carpet, so to speak, for Joseph's family to come back. Joseph had in mind exactly which land would be best for his father and brothers, and that was the land of Goshen. Joseph emphasized to his family that they should tell Pharaoh that they are herders, so they herded livestock. He knew that Pharaoh would then set them up in Goshen, remote and away from most of the Egyptian population. Egyptians didn't really like animal herders, uh, and so, I don't know, did they smell? I don't know, but they didn't like them. And uh, so they were going to be set apart. The area of Goshen was the Nile River Delta, and it was very fertile and would have been rich land for herding and cultivation. So they kind of got the best of what they wanted um, in coming to uh, Egypt. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. So they get this amazing treatment. They get land. Uh, uh, they're set up very well. Even after Joseph's death in Exodus 1, 6, and 7, then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So we see that Israel's family was treated very well as sojourners to Egypt, better treatment than even Egyptians received during the days of the famine. In fact, it's recorded that Egyptians gave up, gave up everything, money, land, animals, to Pharaoh in order to receive grain. They even went so far as to sell themselves into slavery. We can see that in Genesis 47. So that all of Egypt ended up being Pharaoh's slaves. But it was different for the Israelites. Even though Egyptians traditionally despised Hebrews and animal herders, they wept for Jacob for 70 days when he died. So there must have been some love and respect for him and his people, and at least out of reverence and thankfulness to Joseph. But by the time God gave the Israelites the edicts on how to treat sojourners, over 400 years have passed. And even in an oral culture such as the Hebrews had, hundreds of years may have dimmed their memory of how well Egypt welcomed them. And if it hadn't dimmed their memory, then certainly the suffering of the past century or more probably had. They had been treated very badly now. After good and fruitful years in Goshen, there was great suffering. So now we're going to go to Exodus. And I, I know you've gone through this. but Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. 
And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmakers over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed and the more they, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So it's probably worth noting that although the, this new king did not remember Joseph, the children of Israel were still distinct people. They had not assimilated into the Egyptian culture. They still had their own language and culture and worshipped Yahweh. And remember, Joseph, they're, they're similar enough as people that Joseph was able to blend in. And so presumably they could have blended in if they wanted to. Um, Joseph was able to um, disguise himself. He was unrecognizable. Um, dressed up as an Egyptian. His brothers didn't know who he was. And so they, they could have done the same thing, but they remained distinct. Because they kept their distinction as Hebrews, they were still viewed as foreigners at this time. They were distinct, strong, and successful, and so they were enslaved. And as if slavery was not enough, Pharaoh is still frightened by th their strength in numbers and orders that newborn males be killed. And he asked midwives to do that first. Um, and then when they did not go through with that, he ordered his own people to throw male infants into the Nile River. In Exodus 5, Moses returns from his exile and with the aid of his brother Aaron, goes to Pharaoh to ask if the people may go into the desert to worship God. After this request, Pharaoh intensifies the suffering of the Israelites, increasing their work unjustly and beating them as well. So this is Israel's collective memory when God says to them, you shall not wrong a sojourner or, or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And it's also their memory when he says, you shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So they have all of this uh, in their memory. And there's, there's more beyond Exodus. I'm just going to dip into the rest of the Pentateuch as well, um, some commands regarding sojourners. Leviticus 19:33 and 34 says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do to him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourselves, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And then Deuteronomy 10 he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. And then one more from Deuteronomy 24. You shall not pervert the justice due to a sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. 
Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in the field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So many times, not only just in Exodus, but throughout the Pentateuch, uh, God in his law is reminding them of how they're to treat the sojourner and always reminding them that they've been through this before. So what, what's he doing with this phrase for you or sojourners in the, the land of Egypt? He's asking his people to be empathetic, to remember the mistreatment and oppression and injustice that they have suffered, the incredible wrong that was done to them when their children, children were murdered at the hands of ordinary Egyptians. But I also believe God was asking them to look back to the days when their ancestors needed relief from the famine they had been suffering, and they were given that in Egypt. God is asking them to love and provide for sojourners as well, as they were loved and provided for in Egypt. And I love that, he, he, that God also puts them together with widows and orphans, because God understands who, who are the most vulnerable in any population, and he sees that it's sojourners and it's widows and orphans. So these are the vulnerable people amongst us. And God understood that, and he understands it today, that sojourners, immigrants, refugees, they're among the world's most vulnerable people. Uh, a few things from the Pentateuch, um, do's and don'ts, and then some other things um, that were said regarding sojourners. So on the do side, we have do provide charity to sojourners, so that's food and clothing. Do treat them like native born. I love that one. Um, there shouldn't be a difference between people who were born here in Canada and those who weren't. Do love them, so we're supposed to love them. Include them in celebrations. Give them true justice and teach them the law. And then on the don't side, do not mistreat or wrong them. Do not oppress. Do not take advantage of foreign workers. And then some others were religious laws and regulations should apply to sojourners as well. Um, so that's still that equality piece, right? They are equal before the Lord. Numbers actually says they're equal before the Lord. And they will also be forgiven their sins, which is an interesting one. So what about our story? How can we have empathy for sojourners when many of us may not be sojourners ourselves? What does the Lord require of us? I would suggest it's no different than what was required of the Hebrews in the Old Testament and maybe much, much more because we have Jesus. One is to loose the chains of injustice so we can be aware of the laws of our land and protest against them. 
Uh, it can be related to voting, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Providing food, clothing, and shelter for the poor, including the sojourner, and loving the sojourner, and treating them like native-born. So I realize these are ver very general suggestions, so we'll get a bit more specific. So what are refugees and newcomers facing in Toronto, in Canada, and how can we help? The verse in Exodus that we looked at talked about not oppressing sojourner. I'm guessing that no one in this room here at Wellspring um, are actively involved in oppressing newcomers to Canada. Are you oppressing newcomers? Anybody here? <laughs> Maybe systemically, Bill's like over there. Yes, systemically, I'll get to that. <laughs> but sojourners are still amongst the most vulnerable people here in our country. Um, even, even newcomers to Canada do experience oppression. So refugee needs. I think one of them is uh, the policy piece. And right now things are okay, but they can turn on a dime. There are political parties uh, and there are political figures that at times um, put, put laws or change laws that really impact newcomers. So a few years ago, it was healthcare. They wanted to strip healthcare from newcomers, and they did for a time. Unless you had something contagious, they didn't want to help you, um, or at least pay uh, for your healthcare. Uh, and there's other things as well, um, not providing a basic income to some classifications of newcomers like refugee claimants. So not wanting them to be on welfare or to get uh, child tax benefits. So there's things like that, um, that you may not be a protest person. You might not want to go uh, downtown and, and pick it, but you can vote and be aware of those issues when you're voting um, and speak up for, for newcomers amongst us. Another, another one would be, well, I'll, I'll touch on two. A lot of times people say, what are the top needs for refugee claimants? And my answer is pretty much always the same, work and housing. Those are the big things. So when refugees get here, they really do wanna work. Uh, they wanna work to survive. They wanna work to send money back home to a family that's still back home. But education and experience of refugees and immigrants is often not recognized. Um, so desperately, they might work for agencies and receive little um, pay for hard work. And for a non-status person, that's even worse because they don't have any bargaining position and receive even less remuneration. Oh, I can't say that word. Even less <laughs> pay <laughs> for hard work. Um, so th this is one that you might be able to uh, impact, right? Are you in a position to employ people, to hire people, whether it's as a manager or a business owner? Um, I read a story within the last year um, uh, talking about um, 
equal opportunity for people in employment. And I don't remember the magazine, so I'm sorry about that. I don't have a reference. But the editor of the magazine was talking to someone about equal opportunity, and um, she told a member of a visible minority um, who had asked, would you hire me if I applied for this position? And she said, well, yes, if you were the best educated and best, um, had the most experience, if you were the best candidate, in other words, I would hire you. And um, that person told her, okay, well, then you're part of the problem. And that was honestly the first time I read it a little bit shocking to me because, yeah, you think you should be hiring the best person for the job, but it's often members of visible minorities or people who are newcomers to Canada that haven't had the opportunity to become the best candidate. And they need to be given opportunities um, to, to prove themselves and to uh, enter the workforce. So that's that's a big one that every one of us may be able to to impact. The other key need, housing. So many landlords will deny renters who are immigrants and refugees even though it's illegal to do so. And there are just certain things even within the housing application process that make it really difficult for newcomers to rent and so that might be something like a credit check or a landlord history well if you just got here how do you have credit and how do you have uh, a landlord history you don't right and so uh, there need to be some changes to open up uh, housing for refugees so this is something else you might be able to do maybe not right now but um, are, are you someone who can rent a space to a refugee and not require those sorts of things or be able to provide rent on a lower rate for people uh, who are just starting out? And then I think one that refugees themselves might not identify as a key need but we definitely see as a key need is um, community. So a lot of people that come to Adam House come from cultures where they're part of a community. Uh, they have family and friends and uh, everyone's really close. Um, you don't need to call or text someone before you show up at their house. You just show up at their house and have a visit. And so that sort of cl those close relationships, I think, are really lacking when a newcomer comes here to Canada. Um, so I mentioned that the word gare, sorry, <clears throat> the word gare uh, means someone who dwells within. Um, so how can we make it so that newcomers are not only here in their isolated enclaves, but are part of our communities, uh, part of our friend groups, and so on. Uh, and so. At Adam House, we really put an emphasis on this by having the groups come in and uh, provide that for um, our, our residents. And really what people are getting in return is also a friendship from uh, a person who will, who will love them and, uh, and invest in them as well. So community, dwelling, and friendship uh, are really important for refugees as well. So I hope that um, this morning there, 
are some things you're able to take away and maybe uh, use in your life as you encounter people in your communities uh, who are new to Canada um, and uh, thinking sort of trying to empathize from you were a sojourner in the land of Egypt what what does a newcomer feel and how can we uh, help them and make sure that they're not suffering from any oppression let's pray Heavenly Father thank you so much that in your word you um, express not only your love and care but your deep concern for uh, the sojourner and God you care so deeply for the most vulnerable in our midst and I find it amazing that you even see the health of a nation or a people as an indicator like one of the indicators of health is how we treat the least among us and so God I just pray for uh, our nation and um, for us as a community of faith that we would be putting those things into practice as an indicator of our spiritual health that we love and care for and provide for the most vulnerable around us pray these things in your name amen <laughs>